would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. If you're not sure where that is in your Bible, if you want to use one of the red Bibles around you, you can see the page listed for you in the bulletin. Uh, we are continuing on in our uh, little sermon mini-series during Advent. We're taking a break from our study of 1 John. And we're looking at uh, a number of psalms that are often referred to as messianic or talking and pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming today uh, to Psalm 72. So I would encourage you to listen along as I read to you these 20 verses of Psalm 72. Of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, and we would pray for the Holy Spirit to be present in our midst to open our eyes and our hearts to see and to learn and to believe and to trust what you want us to see and to learn and believe and trust. Father, we pray that you would not help us to just simply learn new information or remember information we've known before, but we pray that through the work of your spirit, we would truly be transformed by the word. Make us the people that you want us to be. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I enjoy listening to Christmas music. At least most of it. And most of us probably have our favorite carols, our favorite tunes, and our favorite artists. 
And for me, growing up in the, in the Harper household, it was Johnny Mathis. And every Christmas day, one of Johnny Mathis's Christmas albums would be on the record player. And it had so, it so captured my mind and my memory and my imagination that I can, to this day, remember the song and remember the place in the song that the record would get stuck and skip and somebody would have to go and move the needle. We, even to this day, in our family, enjoyed Johnny Mathis on Christmas Day. I was interacting recently with a pastor friend and talking about this idea of interacting, just talking about this idea of, of these carols, these hymns, these tunes that we grew up listening to and how uh, we, we like them so much. And this friend of mine w- was saying that uh, he, he actually, as he's thought back over some of the, the particular ones that he enjoyed growing up, uh, has started to cringe a little bit as he's really started to listen to the words and actually pay attention to what these these tunes are saying. And even some of them are causing him to roll his eyes now when he hears them. And he said one of those for him was Andy Williams' It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Now, as soon as I said that, it started playing in a number of your minds. I can see it in your eyes. He, he said he loved that hymn growing, or that, that song growing up. It, it, when it started, when he started paying attention to it, started listening to the words of it, he realized this is not right. This is not true. Then he would now rolls his eyes when he hears that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap- happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap- happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And my pastor friend said, you know, as I've thought about that more, it's just not true. When was the last time in Minnesota that you roasted marshmallows on Christmas? Sitting around in your family telling scary ghost stories, reflecting on the glories of Christmases long, long ago. He says it's just not true for him. So he thinks about those things and now when he hears that song, he rolls his eyes. But then he said this as he was reflecting on Psalm 72. He said, I wonder if the people that first heard and sung Psalm 72 rolled their eyes when they heard it. Hey, you remember the Psalms are the hymn book of God's people and it's very likely that God's people sung Psalm 72 and as they were singing it perhaps for the first time or even for centuries later after it was initially written and they were hearing some of the things that you just heard read to you. That the king is loved and served and worshipped by the nations. That the nations will come and bow down and bring him gifts. That he is a king of righteousness, a king who looks to serve and to help the oppressed and those who are in need. You can imagine being one of God's people. Perhaps during the time when there wasn't just one king, but many kings. Kings of Israel that were far from righteous, that in fact were evil. Or perhaps you were one of God's people during the exile in Babylon. 
Not only were you not under the king, but you were under a pagan king and under his reign and rule. Or even if you were one of God's people living during the time that Jesus walked the earth, living, living under Roman oppression and dealing with the difficulties of life, being a follower of Jesus. I wonder if any of them rolled their eyes when they heard and sung this hymn. Psalm 72 was written and given to God's people to give them hope and to fill them with a a true, deep-seated joy. That was true for God's people in 1000 B.C., in 33 A.D., and in 2021. But to understand Psalm 72 and to fully experience the hope and the joy that it is intended to convey to us, we have to understand what this psalm is about. And in order to get there, we need to talk about who the author of this psalm is and who the subject of this psalm is. You'll notice that the psalm begins with an ascription of Solomon. That's as many of the Psalms do. They have an inscription similar to that of Solomon. It can mean in the Hebrew that Solomon wrote the Psalm, or it could be also mean equally that it was written about Solomon. So which is it? Well, scholars have mixed opinions, but I want you to notice the very end of the Psalm, verse 20, which really isn't part of the main part of the Psalm, more of a uh, kind of a postscript that is given to us at the end of this Psalm, verse 20, the prayers of Who? Of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. As the book two of the Psalms comes to a conclusion, the psalmist gives us this word that these are the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, and they are now ended. It has caused uh, many, uh, including people like Calvin and Spurgeon, among others, to determine that Psalm 72 was written by David about his son Solomon. And I tend to agree that that's what we have in front of us today. But this psalm can't only be about Solomon. Some of what is written here in this psalm goes beyond and above what even Solomon did and achieved during his reign as king. Remember what it said. All kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. His name will endure forever and all nations will call him blessed. Those things are bigger than Solomon. It's like when you're in a room and you look across the room and you see someone waving at you. At least you think that they're waving at you. And so you're not sure who they are, but you wave back because they're waving at you. And then you realize they weren't waving at you. They were looking past you to someone that they knew and waving to them. That's kind of what's happening here with Psalm 72. David didn't just write Psalm 72 about his son Solomon. By the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, David was looking past Solomon to someone else, a greater son of David, a greater king of Israel to come, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So with that in mind, let's look at this psalm and see a couple things. Now, I know that uh, some of you are people that enjoy having the sermon outline in the bulletin. And I know that some of you like that because then you can tell when we're getting close to the end of the of the sermon. (laughs) If you turn in your bulletins today, you'll notice that that's a blank page. We actually went to print on the bulletin early this week because of the snowstorm on Friday. So there's no outline printed for you in your bulletin, but it's actually a very simple outline for you today. Two things. How is the king and the kingdom described in Psalm 72? How is the king and the kingdom described in Psalm 72? And then secondly, 
What does it look like to actually live in the kingdom? So how is the king and the kingdom described? And then secondly, what does it look like to live in the kingdom? So first of all, let's look and see what it says about the king and the kingdom. There are a number of characteristics that were given here in the psalm. The first is in verses 1 through 4. The king and the kingdom are righteous. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. The king and the kingdom are characterized by righteousness. It's mentioned three times in these first three verses of the psalm. David was praying for his son Solomon to rule and to judge with the righteousness of God. That he would defend those who are in need with justice. That he would defend the cause of the poor. That he would protect children who are in need. And that as a result of being a king of righteousness... We see in verse 3, there, there would be prosperity in the kingdom. That word prosperity in the Hebrew is actually the word shalom. That there would be peace. There would be prosperity. That it would abound for the people of the kingdom. Now, David's prayer here is specifically for Solomon, the king of Israel at that time, or soon to be. And it was during a time of theocracy for Israel. Now, that's not us today. The United States is not a theocracy, but this is still an actually a good prayer for us today that we would pray that our leaders and governing authorities would govern with righteousness, that they would serve with justice and that they would defend and protect those who are in need. Solomon started out doing that during his reign, but he didn't keep doing those things for too long. Eventually, he fell into idolatry. And actually, his, his reign was characterized more by the opposite of righteousness. But eventually, a better king arrived. The Messiah King, Jesus. And he did and he does perfectly fulfill the righteousness described here of the king and the kingdom. Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness. He defended the cause of the needy and the poor. He protected children. And when King Jesus comes back, his rule and his reign over the new heavens and the new earth will be with all power and all authority. And with righteousness and justice, he will crush the oppressor for good. And we will experience eternity. We will experience shalom for all eternity. As I was thinking about that this past week, it reminded me of a very well-known story that you know as well. Story out of the Chronicles of Narnia. Four children go into Narnia. They come across Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, a husband and wife who are faithful to the king, King Aslan. And the beavers assure the children that Aslan is coming back. He will return. And when he does, he's going to set all things right. And the two girls of the four children, Lucy and Susan, began to wonder. They began to ponder. I wonder what this Aslan is like if he's coming and he has the power and he has the authority to make all things right. I wonder, is he safe? And Lucy asked the beavers, is Aslan a man? Mr. Beaver responded, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? 
Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. King Jesus isn't safe to those who are not his people, but he is good and he is righteous and his kingdom will be of righteousness and justice. There's another description here of the king and the kingdom, and that is that they are boundless. That's what we get in verses 5 through 11. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute and the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. This is a, a description of the boundlessness of the king in the kingdom. The kingdom is boundless in duration. We see that in verse 5. David was praying that the enemies of the king would fear him forever. That the kingdom would last for all generations. It's boundless not only in its duration but also in its effect. If you look at verses 6 and 7, David there says the reign of the king will cause people of the kingdom to flourish forever. That peace would abound for all. That they would be refreshed like the earth is when the Lord brings rain down upon it. It's boundless in its duration and its effect and also in its geography. Look at what it says in verse 8. That the dominion of the king and the kingdom would stretch from sea to sea and to the very ends of the earth. It's also boundless in people. We see that in verses 9 through 11. These desert tribes, the people that would have been most nearby, the kingdom of Solomon, they would bow down before him and worship him and those who were his enemies would lick the dust in submission to him. That the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands would come and bring him tribute. That was the furthest west anyone at that time would have imagined. Or the kings of Sheba and Seba would come and bring gifts and tributes to the king. Those were the southernmost areas that people would have imagined at that time period. All kings, all nations would fall down before him and serve him and bring him gifts. This is a boundless kingdom. And we know that this was partly fulfilled during Solomon's reign. We even have record in 1 Kings chapter 10 that the queen, of Sheba, the queen of Sheba actually came and brought Solomon gold, even as it says in verse 15. But it was only partially fulfilled with Solomon. Eventually Solomon died. Eventually the kingdom came to an end. It is no longer. But as we read earlier in our service in Matthew chapter 2, a better and a greater king was born. 
wise men, magi from the east, would come to him and bow down and worship the Christ child and bring gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh. And John tells us at the end of Revelation, as he has this vision of the new heaven and the new earth, we're told that by the light of the glory of God and King Jesus, the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into heaven and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This kingdom is boundless. It is boundless in its duration and effect and expanse and its people. A third character quality that we see here of the king and of the kingdom is that it is compassionate. You can see that in verses 12 through 14. For the king delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood. In his sight. This is a picture of a king who cares for and delivers the needy and the poor and those who are who have no one else to help them. This is a king who is concerned for the weak, who saves their lives. This is a king who redeems their life from being oppressed and having violence done to them. And the blood of his people, the very lives of his people are precious in his sight. This is a picture of the compassion that King Solomon had for those who in need within his kingdom. But it only lasted a while. Eventually Solomon went the way of many kings and leaders, became selfish, focused on his own self-interests. But we know that Eventually, a better and greater king arrived, King Jesus. And when he arrived, he said things like this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. Bring the little children to me and do not cast them out. Jesus healed the sick. He fed the hungry and he spent time with downcast and outcast people. Their blood was precious to Jesus, so precious that he would shed his own blood to get them forgiveness. He redeems us, not just from the oppression and violence of men, but from the wrath and the judgment of God. The kingdom is righteous and boundless and compassionate. We also see it's described as being both blessed and a blessing. You can see that in verses 15 through 19. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and many and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. David prayed for a king that would be blessed. He would live long given gifts of gold, that prayers would be made for him continually. But he also was praying that there would be a blessing through the king to the people of the kingdom. 
that they would experience abundance in, in the, of the grain and the land. It would be so abundant that it would even wave on the top of the mountains where grain doesn't nor- normally grow. That the people of the kingdom would blossom and flourish. That people would be blessed in the king. And that all nations would call him blessed. And notice David finishes the psalm with this, with this wonderful kind of benediction. That the Lord would receive all the ultimate praise and glory because he is the one who truly does wondrous things. May his name, his glorious name be blessed forever, David says. May the whole earth be full of his glory. And as if the people of God joined David with the voice at the end saying, Amen and Amen, may it be true. This is how the king and the kingdom are described. This prayer of David for his son Solomon in his reign as the king of Israel. But as we've said, this prayer is only partially fulfilled with Solomon. It's not until the greater and better King Jesus arrives that David's prayer is finally and fully fulfilled. So what do we do with all of this? How do we apply this today? Well, let's consider not just how the the kingdom is described, but what does it look like to actually live in the kingdom? I have a pastor friend who tells the story about getting to take a tour of the Holy Land recently. And he says that uh, when they got uh, got to Israel and they began their tour, they had a wonderful tour guide. It was an Israeli citizen, a devout Jewish lady, great personality, connected well with the group, incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible. He said that this Jewish lady, their tour guide, had forgotten more about the Bible than he had ever learned. They traveled around the country to a lot of different sites, and as they did, they would stop at the important places, and they would read some scripture that was related to the the place that they were looking at, and then, uh, because there were a number of pastors on the trip, uh, somebody would do a short devotional based on the scripture passage and the location of where they were. And at one of the locations, the group began discussing how in the Old Testament, Israel had all these different kings, and king after king after king after king blew it, was not righteous, didn't help those in need, didn't rescue the oppressed. So many were just simply miserable failures. And the person that was leading the devotion at that point stopped and wondered out loud and said, what if there was a king who always kept God's word? What if there was a king who always loved the Lord and loved people? What if there was a king who was always righteous and just and the deliverer of those who were in need? My pastor friend said at that point he glanced over at their their tour guide and there were tears streaming down her face. And she looked over and she said, if that could happen, it would be a dream come true. Here's the good news, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a dream. It is true. It is and will come true. Jesus is that king. He is the now and the future king that is described in Psalm 72. And Jesus himself has told us there will be a second advent. David's prayer is only partially fulfilled with Solomon. By God's enabling, David also looked forward to when Jesus would come And in his first advent, he showed that he is the ultimate one that David's prayer was pointing to. 
Jesus' work on earth at that point was finished and completed and was perfect. And yet there is still work to be done. There will be a second advent when King Jesus will return and he will make all things right forever. As we wait for that day to come, the truth of Psalm 72 is meant to fill us with hope and even joy. Not a hope and joy in earthly kings or presidents, but in the King of kings and of the Lord of lords described to us in Psalm 72. That doesn't mean that God's people will never uh, experience discouragement. They'll never be sad over what is happening to us and around us. But what it does mean is that because our ultimate hope is in King Jesus, there is a true and a lasting joy that is ours. A joy that is not primarily about a smile or even just being happy, but a joy that fills us with a peace and a, and a contentment and a hope that is bigger and more satisfying to us than any of the troubles we experience. A joy that transcends and is bigger than the circumstances of our life that change so often. Because there's a second advent, we are meant to be filled with joy and hope. But because there's a second advent, there's also a warning for those who are not servants and followers of King Jesus. King Jesus is good. He is just. He is righteous. He is, has all power at His disposal. But for those who are not in relationship with King Jesus, He is not safe. When the King returns, it is too late to get into a relationship with Him. The time of mercy and grace and forgiveness of sins will have passed. We will all be called to account for our own sins and our own, our, our own unrighteousness. And if we are in Christ, then the, the work and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ are the reason why we will have forgiveness. But if you're not in Christ, you will be called on your own to account and to pay for your sins and to pay with them with your pay for them with your life for all eternity. So hear the call of King Jesus today. Fall down before him, serve him, bless him and worship him and be blessed by him and redeemed by him. A second takeaway for us today is that for those of us who are in the kingdom, who are followers of the king, we are to love the people that the king loves. Who is it that Psalm 72 tells us that the king loves? Well, one group of people that the king loves are all the nations. It reminds us of what we read in Revelation 5, where uh, we read that by the blood of Jesus, he ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. The kingdom of God is truly a worldwide global kingdom. And that means that we, people of the kingdom, should do the hard work of rooting out of our hearts any hatred, indifference, or apathy toward people of different ethnicities and language and people groups. We ought to treat every human being with honor and dignity and respect because they are made in the image of God. We should have an interest and a desire to see all kinds of people come to faith in King Jesus. 
That means that we ourselves should be intentional about meeting people from different cultures and races. It means that we should take seriously the blessings that we have of, as a people of God of sending others to the nations to share the gospel of good news. It means that we ought to be praying for the Lord to bring people to Trinity from other nations and ethnicities. We are to love the people that the king loves and he loves the nations. Psalm 72 tells us another group of people that the king loves. Those who are in need. Those who are oppressed. In fact, it's a significant portion of the psalm mentioning the importance to the king of the needy and the poor and the oppressed and children. This picture that the king has compassion and cares for those who are in need. So do you. Do you have a compassion? Do you have a care? Do you have an interest toward helping those who are in need? As followers of King Jesus, we are to love and care for those who are in need around us. I will tell you one of the most encouraging things that I got to witness during the pandemic was how our church family expressed a desire to help any within our church family or beyond who had needs that were coming up because of the pandemic. And it wasn't just an expression of a desire, but actually providing help to those in need. And if you've been a part of this church for very long, you know that that's not surprising. Care for those in need within our church family and beyond has always been a hallmark of this church. And we've seen it recently as we've helped a family out at Crow Creek and as we've responded so significantly with the Giving Tree Ministry, blessing together for good and arrive ministries here in our community. And you don't get to see it, but I get to see our deacons hard at work, taking the resources that have been given to them to be a blessing and an encouragement and to help the needs within our church family. So this is just a reminder. Don't stop. Don't give up caring and loving for those who are in need around you. Use your time and your treasures and your talents that the Lord has given you to be a good steward with. And use them to bless others who are in need. Now think about it this way. As God enables us and we are faithful uh, to be a blessing to those in need, we can actually be the means by which the King, King Jesus fulfills these promises in Psalm 72 of loving and caring for the needy. What a blessing that is for us as God's people. And that leads us to our final point of application. Part of what it looks like to live in the kingdom is to be people of radical generosity. Psalm 72 ends with this wonderful picture of the people of the kingdom being blessed because of the king. And how true that is for all of those who are servants of King Jesus. In particular, as I think about our church family, I think about how the Lord has showered blessings of talents and treasures on us. And we have to remember that everything we have belongs to the Lord. It doesn't matter if you've worked hard to get what you have or whether you've inherited it or whether you have gone to school for a long time to be able to get it. Whatever you have belongs to the Lord and he's given it to you to be a good steward with. Being a good steward means that you save and you enjoy and you give. So how much should you give? Well, ultimately, that's between you and the Lord. But to what degree has the Lord blessed you? 
To a similar degree, you should strive to be a blessing to others. I heard someone put it this way once. If your giving isn't at a level that causes you to feel it, or even causes you perhaps to adjust how comfortable your life is, then you're probably not being generous enough. Now you can certainly take that too far. You can take that to an unhealthy place, but there's probably some truth to it. How blessed are you by your king? And what are the ways that you can be generous in blessing others? So this is the king in the kingdom described to us. He and it is righteous and boundless and compassionate, blessed and blessing. And what it looks like in the king, to live in the kingdom is to live with a hope and a joy because there is a second advent coming. That we would love the people that King Jesus loves. And that we would live lives of radical generosity. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we meditate on your word, not just now, over these last minutes, but even in this, the rest of today and this coming week, as we meditate on your word that you've given to us, would you fill us with the hope and the encouragement and the joy and the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus? And in the midst of challenges and trials and difficulties and uncertainties and things that scare us, would we turn our eyes to King Jesus and remember who He is. Remember what His kingdom is like. And Father, would You, through the work of Your Spirit, change our hearts to make us people who desire to live in the kingdom as You desire us to be. We pray that as we do that, Father, a watching world would see King Jesus in a way that they are drawn to Him to worship Him. Even use us to that end, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen.